All set for your flight? Yep, I've got everything I need. Eye mask, neck pillow, T-Mobile, headphones. Wait, T-Mobile? You bet. Free in-flight Wi-Fi. 15% off all Hilton brands. I never go anywhere without T-Mobile. Same goes from a water bottle, chewing gum, nail clippers, okay, passport. Okay, I'm gonna leave you to it. Find out how you can experience travel better at T-Mobile.com slash travel. Qualifying plan required. Wi-Fi were available on select U.S. airlines. Deposit and Hilton Honors membership required for 15% discount. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners. It's Michael Monroeville Mall Rothman. Because it's the 35th anniversary of Rob Reiner's Stand By Me, and well, we just spent three hours talking about it in our first installment of The Long Watch, we thought you might want to stay in Castle Rock just a little longer. That's why we were rerunning our interviews with stars Jerry O'Connell and Will Wheaton. And if you recall, we recorded these way, way back in December of 2017, the tail end of our first season, come to think of it. I gotta say, four years later, I'm still really, really proud of these chats, uh, especially my time with Wheaton. I don't know, I, I think the two of us really went off the beaten track, and I think we hit upon some, I don't know, some timeless stuff that still sticks with me all these years later. Um, so, the, I don't know, they mean a lot to me, and I'm glad that we're able to kind of repurpose them for our larger Stand By Me celebration this month, uh, which is going to include newer interviews with uh, screenwriters Bruce A. Evans and Reynold Guinean, which are going to be arriving later this month. Um, anyway, <laughs> I better get rolling before I start sounding like Richard Dreyfuss uh, at the end of Stand By Me there. So uh, enjoy these chats, and I'll be seeing you over long days and pleasant nights. Hmm. I brought a comb. What do we need a comb for? Well, if we get on TV, we want to look good, don't we? A lot of thinking, Vern. Thanks. Two for flinching. Hello? Hi, is this uh, Jerry? Yeah, man. I tried calling you earlier. What's going on, dude? Oh, hey, what's going on? Sorry, sorry. I was just uh, setting up uh, the recording for Skype. But uh, how have you been? Good. Nice, nice, nice. Well, thanks so much for uh, speaking with us. What we've been doing this whole year has been... Um, going through all of Stephen King's books. And we started with Carrie, and we've worked our way through like Salem's Lot and The Shining and all his other classic books. And we finally reached uh, Different Seasons, which has The sure. Body. And uh, we're going to be also talking about Stand By Me. So, you know, we thought, hey, we got, we got to talk to Vern. Um, and I was really happy that, uh, you know, that you're able to talk to us because 
uh, personally speaking, uh, Vern was actually the, the, the character that I always kind of connected with growing up. Um, but anyway, um, I, I guess the first question I wanted to ask was, um, what is uh, your earliest experiences with uh, Stephen King? And um, had you read uh, Stephen King around the time that you were filming uh, Stand By Me, or was it something this, afterwards? This is so funny. When we went on the set of The Body, which is the name of the short story in different seasons, and that yeah. was the name of the film when we were doing it, it was not called Stand By Me. I think, I think probably someone in a marketing department said, you can't call something The Body. You got to, you know name it. I mean, someone in marketing must have said you got to name it after a song, and they were smart enough to name it after a song that I think did pretty well on the charts after the movie came out. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, I know it did well on the charts, you know, back when it first came out in the uh, in the 60s, in the early 60s. I remember because there was they did change the date in the story of the body, I think it's 1960, and then for the film's sake, they made it 1959. So I think mm-hmm. Stand By Me came out, and don't quote me on any of these numbers, please. Um, it's but it's cool. I think, uh, could you imagine if you really held me accountable for these numbers? Yeah, right. You <laughs> son of a bitch! <laughs> Stand by me, came out! And, um, but, yeah. um, it, uh, it, 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 um, uh, my, my first introduction to Stephen King as a kid before the body was Creepshow. Oh, nice. Um, and I saw that in the theater and, I mean, it was the best movie I'd ever seen in my life. And <laughs> yeah. Creepshow, ironically enough, was sort of like four short stories as well. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, here I am. When I went to the set of Stand By Me, I was 11 when I was in that movie. I had not read different seasons. I didn't read different seasons until I was in college. Oh, wow. Interesting. And um, I just... Um, you know, I remember the other kids had read it. I remember Will Whedon had read it and said how good it was. And I just wasn't, I, I wasn't, I wasn't mature enough to sit down and read even, uh, even a short story. I just, um, you know, um, like at, at that point at the age of 11, I was only reading like choose your own adventure books. So yeah. <laughs> I, I just, um, uh, I just didn't have the discipline to sit down and read it, but I mean, revisiting it afterwards. I, I mean, when you do go to the, the, the book, different seasons, and you realize that Shawshank Redemption is one of the short stories. Yeah. The Body slash Stand By Me is the other short story. Act Pupil is the other short story. And there's a fourth one that's got to be... Yeah, uh, it's the breathing uh, method. Um, that, that I don't think it's... It hasn't been made into a movie yet, but it's uh, that's the kind of the stray one. It's like the one for winter um, that we're getting to next. It's a little shorter, too. Has it been made into a movie? No, not yet. So that's a uh, dude. Let's do it. I know, let's, right? <laughs> let's, let's 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 sit down and write it. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. I mean, it, that, I mean, all of them, all of the, the the previous ones have all been like huge hits critically and also commercially. I would say so. It's about time that the breathing method comes out and you know becomes uh, some sort of thing. Although I don't know if it would translate well. I think it's a, a very like I think it's a stationary sort of story that's like set in one room or something, but. Um, but I, 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 I do say having my connection to Stand By Me, uh, a.k.a. The Body, I became, as a young adult, a rabid fan of all short stories that Stephen King wrote. So I read all those Skeleton Crews. Oh, nice. And, uh, uh, 
what was the other one? Nightmares and Dreamscapes or something yep. like that? Oh, gosh. Yeah. I should have done my homework for this. No, podcast. no, no. It's so fine. There, there's like Skeleton um, Crew is one. Um, that was like another short story collection. But, you know, um, for those who don't know, Stephen King, you know, early in his career, I think like a lot of writers used to do, um, short form fiction was a way that they paid their bills by selling yep. to Playboy and Esquire and all that sort of stuff. So it's a really fun it's a really fun sort of way to um, follow your, your favorite authors and because they sort of wrote these, they wrote these short stories out of desperation to get in magazines and stuff. So they're really yeah. compelling and, um, and they're really raw. And, uh, and uh, you know, if you have, look, I'm a slow reader. So if you have eight to 10 months, like go and read the stand. But I mean, if you, um, <laughs> if you, uh, if you want to just really see some raw sort of uh, Stephen King um, get into some of his short stories. Oh, I agree. I mean, I, I'm and, actually and you know a bigger else? fan. For some crazy reason, short stories make the best films. Uh, you know, obviously a, a, a better filmmaker will be able to give you a, a, a more complete, concise answer to this question, but it's just something about a novella and, and, um, adapting that to films that really just it really just works works out well yeah i agree i mean i think it's because maybe there's just a foundation there and they can build upon it whereas like the novel itself is just it feels more like a blueprint and you kind of have to follow it in a way um Mm. you know it's just i but i agree because like most of his novellas have really turned out to be the better films i mean all the ones in different seasons are great. I love The Mist, which is off of uh, uh-huh. Skeleton Crew, and that that turned out to be an amazing movie as well. Um, uh-huh. And even like even like The Green Mile was was like a collection of novellas that were in sure. a series. So that's no, that's sure. a good point. That's a really good point. So you seem to oh, be no, really no, no, familiar no, no, with them. No, no, let me just let me just in, interrupt one more time. Um, no, totally. I remember I remember when we were doing Stand by Me when we were filming The Body. It's it's really funny because for for this show I'm I'm going to keep calling it the body which I never say fine. because no one knows what I'm talking about except for <laughs> you guys. Um, um Stephen King everyone always says oh did Stephen King come to the set of of the body and he couldn't because he was shooting something called Maximum Overdrive which oh I believe God. he I believe he directed. <laughs> he did. He did. And no. now I got to tell you I remember so that's my so my, my link to Maximum Overdrive is, oh, I would have met Stephen King had he not been directing this film, had it not been an overlap. Yeah. And I got to tell you, when Maximum Overdrive came out, I thought it was the best movie I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> I thought it was, I, and I mean, I haven't visited it in about 30 years. Oh, it's but, crazy. <laughs> I mean, it, it, was, it, was, it was one of my favorites. I, and yeah. I remember being like, because Maximum Overdrive, I think, came out before Stand By Me. And I remember thinking, like, wow, man, now I totally get why Stephen King wasn't available. He was working on Maximum Overdrive. This film was, it was a masterpiece. Yeah, like, it's, it's, was, a, it's, it's insane. It's, it's such a, it's a wild, wild story that's like, I mean, it's very Twilight Zone-y because it's like, you know, with all the cars just come to life randomly in this world. But yeah. um, it's a blast. I mean, as a kid, I loved it because it's, it's it's it seems so set in that point of view of a kid you know where you can just see this world of like cars just automated it just it just seems yeah. like something that you would be scared of as a kid or something like that but yeah um, well listen no. there's a there's a there's a um there's a theme there christine maximum overdrive oh, you yeah. know i mean yeah 
I mean, he was clearly afraid of uh, vehicles somehow, which honestly, which is kind of in, well, in hindsight now, because he was like hit by a van in the late nineties. That's kind of, uh, it's almost like his, his big fear got back to, got to him. That's kind of scary, but, uh, God, cars are scary. Yeah. Yeah. Looking back now though, what would you say is your favorite, uh, book or like, I mean, you said you love the short Uh, stories, so, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you, um, uh, Oh, man, and all your fans are going to think I'm so dopey. But, uh, you know, it wasn't until high school that I read The Shining. Oh, God, I love The Shining. And when I read The Shining, that was my first sort of awakening that I, I was really able to see the difference in literature versus film in literature versus film in storytelling. And I remember mm-hmm. I, I had seen The Shining as a film before I read the book. And I remember being so scared and it was really scary in the room with the twins and blah, blah, blah. And it was a scary movie. Yeah. And then I remember saying, oh, I don't have to read that book. I, I've, I've already seen the movie. And then I was like, oh, let me just get started on this book. And I remember when the hotel was speaking to Jack, Mm-hmm. I remember putting the book down and saying, wow, even Stanley Kubrick couldn't capture what I'm reading right now. Like, yeah. oh, this, was, this can only be done in literature. Mm-hmm. And it really is when I became, it, 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 was, it, it was an epiphany for me in the difference between literature and, and movie making in, in, in terms of storytelling. Because up until that point, I had only really been interested in storytelling through movie making. I mean, I, yeah. I would way rather see a movie than read a book. I would of rather course. go see yeah. The Shining than have to sit down and read the book. And it wasn't until I read The Shining that I realized that literature in a lot of ways, when done correctly, like when Stephen King is is writing it, can be actually better than a movie-going experience. Because, I, oh, totally. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I think The Shining, the book, is, even better than the film, and the film is a plus plus. I, oh, mean, I think the book is a plus 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 plus. Yeah, no, it's it, it, it's just, they're almost just like two different entities. I mean, it's like you got one like that. The film seems to kind of almost like distill the themes of the story into something else. I mean, it's just, it becomes its own thing. And I, I, I kind of view them uh, separately in a way, just because they are so radically different and you're right. Like, I mean, the stuff, the whole downward spiral at the hotel is, it would be impossible to be able to get that on film because just cause it's so in the head you're in like Jack's head the entire time. And unless you're going to do like constant narration, which would never work. I, I it just, I don't see how it would happen um, either. Um, you know, I, 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 I just didn't know, I didn't know I could be scared through literature and I became scared through literature. And that was a yeah. real, that was an epiphany for a, for a teenage boy. Oh, let me just say a total offshoot that, um, room one, three, two documentary. I think that's what it's called. Oh, the two, three, seven, the, the room two, three, seven. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Really, everyone should watch that movie. It's a real crack up. It really cracked me up. Oh, absolutely! When he's uh, they're talking about how he did the moon landing, and uh... it was just—it was just—it was just—it's just a great film. I think it's on Netflix. It's just yeah. really funny. Room two three seven. You'll 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 really have a good laugh. It really made oh. me laugh. Oh, it's a, it's a blast. I, I I think um the just the the how deep and crazy the theories get just kind of proves just how wild pop culture can really affect people um in certain ways. I just I, I, wow, it's a fun. That, what's that? 
So what's that other different season story again? Just give it There's a, the breathing method. Wow. Yeah. Got yeah. to. We've got to revisit that. I know. I know. It's you got to look. You got to go through the the book, see what you could pull out there, and then talk to someone in Hollywood and make it happen. Because then that means that <laughs> you'd be in two two of the four different season collections. You know, they're probably going to remake. I don't know if they'll ever remake Shawshank, but you know, the, maybe they'll remake App Pupil. You get in that one also. All maybe right. there's a stage production of Shawshank because I don't know if they'll ever remake that movie, but. Then you do that one, and then you you have you will have conquered every book in different seasons as your. I gotta as say, in ninety, whenever Shawshank came out, ninety four. Yeah, ninety four. When Shawshank came out, I saw it in the theater with my brother, and I remember walking out of that movie and saying to my brother, "Am, am, am I allowed to curse on this?" Uh, oh yeah, go for it, go nuts. And saying like, <laughs> and saying like, "Holy shit." You know, that was the other story in different seasons. <laughs> and being yeah. blown away that, like, I mean, I, like, my brother and I knew we had just seen one of the best movies ever made when we walked out of Shawshank. Yeah. And, I, I, I mean, I remember saying to my brother, uh, like, being blown away that I can't believe, I can't believe what a good film. I can't believe, I, I can't believe there was a better film than Stand By Me in different seasons. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's th- that's what's so interesting about those two movies is that they all come from the same place. They all aren't. They both don't really deal with horror, um, at least the type of horror that Stephen King's known for. And None. you know, it's it's just such a more they're more natural dramas. But I don't I don't know. I go back and forth. I, I think they're. It's kind of it's hard. It's like um, anytime I watch Stand by Me, that's my favorite. And if the, and then I watch Shawshank, and I'll go, oh, that's pretty good too. It, it really is back and forth for me. I, I don't know, I, man. You know. I'm in Stand by Me. I'm in Stand by Me. I'm one of the stars, and I don't. I can't tell you which is better. I. I mean, I it's hard. It really is I hard. Mean, it's I mean, Shawshank, man. It's Shawshank. <laughs> But did you have those same? Didn't you have those same feelings watching Stand by Me for the first time? I mean, that must have been no, like. No, you know what? When Stand by Me came out, I was twelve, and <laughs> I, I was I was too young for sort of the adult themes. It wasn't until I was older, really, when it, when I was in college, I really realized how special Stand by Me was. And even then, you know, it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized how special Stand by Me was. I mean, that film was made over 30 years ago and it really holds up and not only does it hold up it's it's great yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know I, I I'm big I I know we talk a lot about Stephen King on this podcast Rob Reiner really directed the hell out of that film he just did he, no, like, he when when I look back to our experience with him as a director and you know I I direct a little now I've directed kids on, uh, mm-hmm. on for the Disney Channel yeah. and he was so good with us and building a trust and just working out scenes and also most importantly keeping it fun I had such a positive experience on that movie yeah, that's what I wanted to ask about because I mean that's what's so what I think is so telling about this film even thirty years later because I I saw it as a kid and I worshipped the movie as a kid and just because I was an outdoor kid also and like I was always going off and do, I'm from South Florida so we would just kind of go off on random adventures oh, and you know, boats um, and all that stuff. Short stories with 
Hey, speaking of short stories with Stephen King, he wrote a group of uh, um, short stories around Florida, South Florida. Oh, man, what is the name of that short stories book? It came out in 2008. Stephen King. Oh, um, is it, uh, shoot, I can't remember. It's, it's not Full Darkness Stars. It's, um, let me see. Um, I know he did Duma Key, because that was another one that was really cool. Um, and that was, like, set around Florida. Um, yeah, and then, uh, that he's, 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 he's got a bunch of short stories. I'm so sorry, I don't, I'm not in front of a computer, but he's, um... Oh, Just After Sunset book. might be the one? Just um, After Sunset, yeah. Yeah. Just After yeah. Sunset. Which is awesome. I have uh, I've only read a few on there, um, but I know because he has a home in like I think outside Clearwater or outside Tampa. So he just started so kind of moving. That's probably what it is. He was probably there. Um, oh, totally. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I, I think with with, so with Stan and me though, like no, 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 because like what what always sticks out to me is being so honest is that, and this is something I feel like the the, the recent uh, adaptation of it captured was the chemistry right. between the kids is so real. Like, I mean, I. I can't tell you, like, even just, like, the relationship between, like, I mean, like, the way that you, when you first come to the treehouse, and then, like, you know, the kids make, the kids make fun of you because, like, you don't know the knock, and, and then there's little things, like, the little ingrained, lived-in stuff that feels so intrinsic to being a kid, like, it, it just, it, I, I wondered how much time did you even spend together? It just feels like you already were friends from the beginning. Like, well, you, listen, you get, this I mean, is what he did, and this is what was so great, is, um, you know, before we shot for two weeks, he just had us rehearsing every scene, hanging out, playing games, getting to know each other. Two weeks. Two weeks, um, Jesus. And we actually went to each location and blocked out each scene so that when we got there, we had already known the scenes. I mean, by the time the cameras were rolling, we were all good friends. You know, if, you put, awesome. kids, if you put kids together for two weeks, they're going to be good friends, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know... Now as an adult, when I work on things, you basically, and I have a wife and kids now, you know, I, I show up the day before I start shooting. I, you know, I have to like take my kids to school. I don't have two weeks to like goop, mm -hmm. goop around and, and, and rehearse and stuff like that. And unless I'm getting paid, um, you know, it's just not happening. Yeah. yeah. But, um, um, it, it was just such a special, it was just such a special time in my life. And I mean, like, you know, the film's sort of motto is you never have friends like you did when you were 12 or you never yeah. forget the summer of 1959. And like, I'll never forget that summer of 1985 and I'll never have friends like I did back then, you know, well, pretty you sad for me to watch now that, um, Chris Chambers, who was the name of the character that River Phoenix played, you know, passes away at the end of the film. And it's pretty yeah. sad to watch the film now. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. No, it is. It really is. It's that's it's it's even even reading it and knowing that he and knowing where his fate is, and then also the the whole River Phoenix. It's it's just so it's just so tied to it. It's almost like um, the Brandon Lee and the Crow thing. It's just like that role is right. always going to be him, and it's right. it's just yeah, it really is hard. Um, but I mean, in that in those two weeks though, I mean, what are you got to remember? I mean, what are some of your memories from there? I mean, I'm, did. It, it was over the summer. I imagine you, you did you guys like, like have sleepovers or did you, was it like, were you guys, would you guys of, like hang out during the day? A lot of sleepovers, uh, River Phoenix and his whole family got a big house. Um, oh my God. A lot of sleepovers. I remember Corey Feldman and I watched Eddie Murphy delirious for the first time on VHS. <laughs> um, I remember I saw purple rain for the first time on VHS. There was a, a VHS rental place 
near the hotel, so we were always renting movies. Um, Aww. And this I is... Just, I, I just remember, you know, just really happy times, fun. Yeah. And this is your first movie, so and your work. I mean, a yeah. lot of these, a lot of the kids were had already had been in uh, previous roles. Was this was that intimidating, or was that kind of like were you kind of comforted by that in a way? You know, um, I sort of relied on them a little bit to sort of tell me what to do. I didn't know what a mark was, and you had to stand on a <laughs> mark, and you know, I mean, I didn't know anything, so I relied on them. And they were also about three or four years older than me. I was eleven, and they were about fourteen, fifteen. So they, you know, that is like, well, that's only three years in, in adult years in kid years. That's like a decade. Oh, you know? totally. Yeah. And so, um, <laughs> so they were sort of the bigger kids on the block, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, I, I, I really have such happy memories from that movie. I, I yeah. just do, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's not, I mean, it's in an honestly, it feels like I mean the, the did you guys all stay to, like in touch as friends like after the, over the years or yeah um, a little bit yeah a little um you know I I was I grew up in New York and they were all in Los Angeles so um, yeah so that was a little tough you know I went to um you know I, I was just a New York kid and they were L A kids so I mean but I mean. I still see Corey Feldman. I definitely see Will Wheaton from time to time. We're all, we're all good. It's really fun to see those guys. It's, it's interesting. It's like, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I imagine it's like, um, you know, seeing, I mean, I don't really recognize people I went to grammar school with. It's tough to remember, yeah. but I guess it's like seeing someone you went to high school with like, Hey, no, you know, I, can I mean, see that. yeah, yeah. But, I mean, um, it, I mean, it's interesting, though, that you, you were at that age, you know, you were at an age of a coming of age type, you know, you were in a film about a coming of age experience, but at the same time, you were also having your own as, you know, basically coming into your own as an actor and and whatnot. So do the lines ever blur when you're looking back on these mo- on this movie and like the time production where you're just like, you know, what, what was what was Vern's <laughs> narrative and what was, you know, my own as Jerry? Um, I mean, does that does that whole like your own coming of age experience ever blur with the actual movie? Um, you know, I mean, uh, it's about a, a, a guy who talks about one of his favorite summer experiences. And that was definitely, I mean, I I mean, you know, I, I have kids and a wife now, so I'm supposed to say like, Oh, like, I've had better summers, but it was really like the most fun I've had in my life of any summer, you know? I mean, mean, the funniest part about doing that film is that um, when I finally came back to New York and it was time to start school because we shot it over the summer, my dad, Mm -hmm. who was in advertising, told me, hey man, don't, don't tell anyone you were in a movie because this movie's never going to get, never going to come out. (laughs) Uh, You know, I work, you know, I think my dad had worked with a lot of guys who, um, had tried to make movies and like they didn't come out or, you know, he, yeah. he's like, uh, I think a lot of his coworkers had tried their hand at independent cinema and it was an independent film when we made it, you know, mm-hmm. it was not a studio film. Yeah. And, um, he was like, look, it's never coming out. Enjoy the experience, but that's it. And 
I remember thinking like, oh, what a bummer. Like I, I would have, I want everyone to see what, what I just did. <laughs> and I went, okay, well, I guess that's how show business works. That's it. So I literally, not only did I not tell anyone, I really pushed it out of my mind. That's crazy. Um, that's... <laughs> and then it wasn't until I saw it opening day with my grandparents at a matinee um, in Manhattan, in, in, in New York City, and my grandparents came with me on the shoot. So we saw the movie, and there was nobody in the theater. It was a matinee. And um, the lady who sold us the tickets when we were walking out went, Hey, man, were you in that movie? <laughs> and I went, uh, I went, yeah. And my grandparents went, yeah, we were there for the shooting. It, it, was, it was so fun. And she was like, oh, wait, hold on a second. Come over here. And she took us back to the cash, cash register. And by the way, my grandparents were, you know, in their 70s and like... Yeah. Yeah. They paid a senior a senior ticket, and I was a kid. I mean, they probably spent we probably spent three dollars for a matinee yeah. uh-huh. in in the eighties. We probably spent three dollars, and so she was like, "Hold hold on a second, movie stars don't have to pay." And she gave us our three dollars back. Aww. And then, like my grandparents are so excited, and I was walking out, and she said to me, "Hey man, that's a good movie." <laughs> and I went, "Oh, thanks." And she said, no, I see every movie that comes in here. That, that movie's going to play here for, for a couple weeks. That's a good movie. And that was the first time I was like, huh, this movie is a good movie. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, here we are 30 years later talking about it. <laughs> it's still so talking my about first it. Inclination, my first inclination of that was the lady who worked the ticket place at the movie theater <laughs> going, hey, man, that was a really good movie. Aw. Yeah, I mean, it, that, that's the thing. It's, it's, I, don't, I, I don't think anyone could have predicted that it was going to be so timeless. Um, but I really do think it's just, I don't know if it's just the era of the 50s or what, but there is just a timelessness to that movie that I don't, I think it will affect every generation. I mean, you have, you said, I mean, you have kids and like, have they seen it? I mean, have they been affected also by the film? Or, I mean, yeah, my kids thought it was pretty boring, but they're eight and they're, and they're highly annoying. But, you know, it's funny. It was, it was on TV once, and I um, and I uh, and I said, "Hey, girls, I'm I'm in this movie. Let's sit down and watch it." And they had seen me in another movie called Kangaroo Jack, which they really liked. So I think they thought I was going to be in, you know, Kangaroo Jack, which was about a kangaroo that's like singing oh, yeah. and stuff. And so they were really into that. And um, then um, they were just not understand. Like they literally watched the first ten minutes, and they were like, "This is boring," and they Aww. walked away. But um, but it was funny. I I I ended up uh, watching the whole thing. It was so, so great. Yeah, so and I got to how is it watching it now? I mean, it, there's got to be particular scenes that are there any scenes that really stand out to you is that, and you're just like, "Oh man, that it hits you a certain way or things that you maybe pulled from it now that you didn't maybe realize back then?" Um, you know, generally, I can say I just realized how talented Rob Reiner was. Um, and it's funny because, um, you know, he didn't have any kids when he directed that. Wait, really? And yeah, but he just knew, yeah, he just knew (laughs) he was just a big kid. He was fun. (laughs) He was great. And let me tell you something like directing kids is not easy. You know, you can't say like, Hey, so I want you to come into this room, go over here, go over here. And then we'll just finish up the scene, you know? And like, it's, um, he was just, he's just, he's, he's a brilliant director, you know? 
Was he kind of like a father figure on set, or did, I mean, you had said he was more like, you just know, like one of the kids. I would call him a father figure. I'd call him more of an uncle figure. I, I okay. wouldn't call him a father figure. You know, he didn't. Um, it, it, it was not father figure. It was uncle figure or like buddy figure. You know, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it wasn't father figure stuff. I wouldn't even say it was like a coach, uh, a coach athlete um, re- relationship. It was like. He was really like a fun uncle. Yeah. Yeah. And he kind of, I mean, this is a tough film. I mean, to do, for, for, especially for being the first film of yours. I mean, there's a lot to kind of consider here. I mean, like emotionally, there's no, it's not very like tongue in cheek. You know, it's very real. It's very vivid in ways that are affecting on a dramatic level. I mean, this isn't, I mean, this is a very tough film to do starting right off the bat. And, I, I and I wondered like were there partic- particular like scenes that you struggled with even as a kid or was there just um, you um, know what, what were some know, challenges coming into this? Rob Reiner tells a story that he w- had to really yell at us to get us to cry on that trestle scene. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, I guess I vaguely remember that him really yelling at us uh, to get a performance out, but uh, you know it wasn't like. I, I I don't ever recall it being tough, you know. No. I, I I just recall having a great time, you know. I I I, I wish um. I, I look. I wish I had a, like a, a cute little like anecdote for you here, <laughs> no, it's but fine. um. But I mean, he he tells a story that he really had to yell at us to get us to cry at that at that trestle scene, and I guess I recall him yelling at me. But I don't ever recall being frightened or upset. You, you know, mm-hmm. I, I I I recall. I listen. I I recall being depressed that it was over. You know, yeah. and it's funny. Yeah. Like now, as an adult, um, when a show ends that I'm on, I'm pretty good about like just like moving out and like compartmentalizing. Like, okay, that was that show and now I'm onto something else. And that comes from me finishing stand by me and being like, Oh, so that's it. So I don't get to hang out with Rob Reiner and Corey Feldman and river Phoenix and Will Wheaton and Keeper Sutherland every day. Again. Like, that's it. Like we don't all go out again. And I remember I just like it, it, that was, that was a learning experience for me that, you know, when you work on, uh, um, when 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 you work on a film or television project, really enjoy that moment that you're in it because when it's over, I mean maybe as an adult you can organize a dinner, but you know me as a twelve year old I couldn't like call up Rob and be like hey let's let's get the gang back together again you know I mean yeah and it's, it's such a different of, era too now I mean with now nowadays you could just hop on Facebook and just you know or do a Skype or whatever but like at that time I imagine you go back to New York and those the, they're gone the kids are gone I mean I mean it's it's when it's it. over it's over you know yeah. I mean I would see guys when they would come to New York I remember Corey Feldman came to New York and I visited him and River Phoenix came to New York a couple times and I visited him. And, um, I remember when I came out to LA, I saw Will Wheaton out here in LA, but when it's over, it's over. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like, really like, I I, I remember like, um, I mean, you know, I don't want to say I was depressed as a kid, but I remember being like sad, like feeling sadness that it was over. But I mean, that's life, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a lot like summer. I mean, you'd mentioned, you know, great summer and with the idea of it being, it's kind of like a summer camp in the sense that, like, you know, you go to the summer camp, you can beat this other person, um, which is usually what happens, at least with me, it was. I'd go to this faraway summer camp. You could kind of be a better, maybe more heightened version of yourself, and then and then it's over, and then you kind of reflect on it, and, this, and it's, there's this sort of nostalgia, and maybe you'll have a photo or a Polaroid or something like that. But now, I mean, for you, you have almost a two-hour film, and <laughs> it's like right. and it's going to exist forever. Um, and that's I think that's really cool. I mean, I, I, especially, especially since it's so... Um, there, there is just uh, the, the, there is something so sad about it. Where, where the, even just the ending, where everyone kind of just drifts away and disappears, and the way it yeah. has that kind of you know yeah. that Sunday afternoon feel of like, well, it's oh, everything's over, back to normal and <laughs> back to reality. Um, You're absolutely right. You know, I but I, I guess like in looking back now on the film, you know, there's got to be. I mean, especially like, as you'd mentioned, like with Wick Rivers passing, like, I guess that took after that happened, was that how long was it before you were, you even like went back to that movie? Um, I mean, it, that, cause that's, that's gotta be a kid. I met, did the film ever possess some sort of like, like, Oh, I don't want to go back to that. That's a really hard thing to look at now that, you know, with, with, with rivers gone. Um, was there ever some, is, does it take on a new meaning now for you? Um, you know, well, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Absolutely. First of all, you realize how talented River Phoenix was. Oh my God! Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, it was not only his family's loss, our loss, but the world's loss. You know, I mean, he was an uber talented guy. Even then, I mean, that like that scene he does in Stand by Me, where he's crying about the milk money. I mean, he's just—he yeah. was just on another level. Well, we all knew it. Um, we all knew it. Yeah. Um, and I remember feeling immense pride when he was nominated for, I think he was nominated for best supporting actor when I was in high school, man. Um, he was in a film called running on empty. And I remember seeing him up there and being like, that's, that's my boy. Yeah. Um, and, um, I, I, I mean, it's just, it's really tough watching that film when he passes away at the end. It's really sad. It's yeah. it's just sad. It's just it's just sad. Does does it take on a different? Uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, um, absolutely. I mean, the film is very different now that River has passed, and you know, uh, for me as a person, I would say everything was different after he passed. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Everything was different, you know. I I think about him a lot, a lot. I I really do. He's uh, he's very much in my heart a lot. Yeah. Was it? Did you stay away from the film for a while because of it, or did you just not want to? Was it just kind of too hard for years after that? Where you I just, just don't know. I I don't know if I purposely stayed away from it. I um. I I, I don't know. I I. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to answer that. I, it's not something I've really thought about. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe I did. I remember. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I also knew River outside of that film, so I don't know if it was just um, Stand By Me that um, 
upset me. I think it was just it was the whole look. It was is it, uh, River was an extremely premature death, and it was mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's devastating. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Still is. Yeah. I mean it. it and it's it seems that Chris was very true to his character in real life too, which is um, based on just I've been reading past interviews with a lot of the other stars, and they a lot of them have said kind of similar sentiments that like this was like I mean Chris Chambers in a way like his spirit was very similar to River in in real life, and um, which I you know again it's it's hard it's like art imitating reality reality imitating you know art that 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 sort of thing and um you know and, and on that note I, w- I wondered how close did you see yourself in in Vern I mean like was it was it was there like totally different than what your own persona was growing up or was it something that you kind of saw and you're like oh you know like I can kind of connect with this kid a little bit yeah, I mean, look, I mean, Vern was a husky kid. Um, I was a husky kid. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we were a lot like our characters. Um, you know, Teddy Duchamp, who Corey Feldman played, was sort of this, you know, wild guy, and Corey Feldman was is always wild and. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's why we got cast. I guess when you're casting <laughs> kids, they got to be somewhat close to what they're portraying, you know? Yeah, and that's true. That's true. I uh, I know uh, on set there's a few things that I, I don't know if these are true, but I, I've seen some pieces of trivia that said one of them involves uh, some pot cookies in a Renaissance fair. I don't know if that was... Uh... <laughs> yeah, no, I've, 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 I've heard that story told a couple times by Keeper Sutherland. Okay. Who, but look, I don't want to call him out because still to this day, I'm deathly afraid of him. You know, <laughs> really? He really went, I don't know whether you call it method or what, but he was really, he was, he was tough with us on set. Yeah. Um, we didn't, we didn't mess around with that guy. He actually scared me. And I was from New York and I saw some scary dudes and there was something really frightening about him. Ace, right? Yeah, I mean, Ace is terrifying. Ace. Jesus, as a kid, that he he scared he scared the shit out of me. I knew too many kids. Um, I knew too many Aces in high school or in, in middle school, actually. Um, so you know, I know he's told this story a couple times. I, I have a like, <laughs> I, I have a different idea of what went on. I, you know, I wasn't. I think he tells the version that I was found naked in a tree. Oh, I didn't read that. That's crazy. That's really. That's that's a. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, he tells a story. I don't want to disagree with him. I don't want to mess with him. He's in a show called Designated Survivor. Everybody can catch it on ABC on <laughs> some night of the week. I don't even yeah. know, but it's Designated Survivor. I'm sure you can stream it. No, he is really funny. I do uh, I do have a good time every time I see him. It's, it's funny being a part of something like Stand By Me. When you see somebody who's in it, it's sort of like you have this... Uh, everlasting bond it's it's just it's just yeah. so interesting you know and keeper is one of those guys who when i see him i i really enjoy hanging out with him yeah i mean he um i didn't i, I actually didn't realize that he got that into the role i mean i guess it makes sense because he's i've i have heard in the past that he gets really into 
his respective roles. But yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty dark fucking role to get, <laughs> get <laughs> that into. Um, so wait, he, he just would mess with the kids on the set because that was basically what he's doing in the movie. <laughs> let's, let's, you know, I don't know if he messed with us. He just, he was just scary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this eighties Keeper Sutherland is terrifying. I mean, I, I think of like lost boys. I think of this, I think of, um, he's got that voice that just is, kind of sounds like if a leopard could talk. That would be what it would sound like. Um, I just, it's, uh, yeah, I could see him being eerie. I did, I mean, I imagine, did, was there any sort of rivalry between the young kids and then the older kids, like, on set, where you can kind of, you know, each of each you, you were know, playing pranks? We really, I, I got to tell you, we really stayed away from him and the older ones, you know? I mean, it just, it naturally happened that our scenes were all different. But we yeah. really kept, I mean, at least I did. I, I just kept my distance. But also, like, I, uh, you know, I grew up in New York in the eighties and sort of, if there was a tougher kid, you sort of like, you walked around them, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Um, and so I just always walked around him, you know? Yeah. yeah. I just always walked around him. <laughs> Did you, um, you know, you mentioned that, uh, he scared you, but growing up, um, what actually did scare you, though? I mean, what, what, what were you know what were some genuine fears that you had growing up, and maybe some that you still even have today that kind of carry with you? That's that's another recurring element on the podcast. We always talk about like our, our constant fears, and uh, so when you mentioned Kiefer, I was like, oh, I wonder what I wonder what other things. Well, that, I mean, that I'm, kind of I'm, I'm an '80s kid, so I guess uh, nuclear war freaked me out. Um, yeah. That was always a possibility. Um, there was a miniseries called The Day After that came out when I was a kid, and I remember, oh, I remember thinking that. like. That's it. We're all toast. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I'm starting to have some sort of uh, flashbacks with that these days. What oh, absolutely. Current Jesus global Christ. situation. <laughs> yeah. But um, I guess that was always scary. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess growing up in New York, I was scared of like you know muggings and stuff. I grew up in sort of a sort of the 80s so crack was a big thing crack always scared me Mm -hmm. um crack the drug yeah um uh i mean yeah i mean (laughs) i I don't know if i grew up in fear as a kid what about some what about some horror movies uh that uh that creeped you out though that maybe even still do you know um i mean i told you i read the shining and that was the first time i was really scared through literature but you know to get a little i'm sorry i I know i should make everything um stephen king no no you don't have to no seriously for 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 me the movie that really scared the crap out of me was the others oh yeah um i just thought it was just such a great film that one climactic bit where they open up the bureau and there's mm-hmm. sort of a, like, I don't want to like spoiler alert everybody, but they open a bureau and there's a, <laughs> it's sort of the climax of the film and something happens. Mm-hmm. And when they open that bureau, I saw it with a buddy of mine and <sighs> he said, he said he heard me scream three <laughs> times, but that they were separate screams that the bureau is open. The climax happens. Bureau was open, big reveal, and I in my seat supposedly went, ah! 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 and it was like three separate screams. And that yeah. I remember being really freaked out by that film. Yeah. Sorry, it has nothing to do with Stephen King. 
No, no, that's fine. That's that's traditionally anything with horror we usually go into also. Uh, which is what I was going to ask you because you also were in a movie that's celebrating its twentieth uh, this month is uh, Scream Two, which I'll Scream be writing Two, with. yeah. And I love Scream Two. That's I actually like it the best out of the whole series. Um, it's super and, fun working with Wes Craven, really to watch him work and just how calm and cool he was, and just what a great director he was. He was so cool, man. He was yeah. so cool. He was cool. Yeah. I mean, he was just a cool guy. But and a your really role fun was, one that I'm a part of also is everyone should check out Piranha 3D. Love Piranha 3D. Oh my god. Yeah. That your role in that is hilarious. I mean, you get to go just just nuts. Just absolutely nuts in that movie. And really I mean, fun. I really had to like I really had to go hustle to go get that job and I had a really funny take with it and it was really uh it was a really good time. Well, you should definitely do uh, more crazy, uh, you know, comedic roles like that because I'm actually a huge fan of Tomcats too. Because I love, I love, I actually love your performance in that. <laughs> I, 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 no that is a total. Now no one's gonna know what you're talking about. I know, I know. Now we just dropped off totally. But uh, I really like. I, t- I used to watch that movie like in high school, like nonstop. I just, it's just a blast. It's just, a, it's just a fun movie. Hilarious. Um, but yeah, no, I. Um, you know, what, what are we working on right now? I mean, let's let's do some plugs. Uh, you know, what, what do you got I got, coming I got a, I got a TV show coming out called carter i don't know when it's coming out sometime next year but um that's about it man nothing well if you could do any book of stephen king's and you could be any characters or whatever you would want what would you do uh, you know i gotta tell you um what would the success of it uh, and i did not read the book i'm so sorry um but after seeing that film it'd be really fun to play um It'd be really fun to play um, the character. Oh God! Everyone was hitting me up on Twitter that I should play his character, but because oh, I get but because it. I, I was sort of the husky kid and stand yep. by me, <laughs> there was a husky kid in it, and everyone said that I should play him as an adult. That is a um, genius idea. That is oh, so. That man. would be that would be oh, super man. funny. Yeah, that but, would be great. But, I kind of hope it happens now. It has to happen. Like, but I really gonna... enjoyed it, and I and I and I can't wait to see the the uh, sequel. And um, I thought it was just really good storytelling, and I think it's really cool how they, um, you know, different from the miniseries, they're choosing to tell the stories in two different bits. I mean, they really swung, they really swung big, and they really knocked it out of the park. So I agree. Um, listen, yeah. I, it's, it's sort of fun. I mean, it, it's exciting um, for people for a new generation to see sort of. Stephen King to get to enjoy yeah. him, and it's fun. It, it just yeah. goes to show you how timeless it all is. And it really is. I mean, it's and it just kind of keeps going into a circle, really. I mean, I, I I remember growing up with them, and then you know I know my older cousins did, and you know now my my younger brother is, and now his his friends that he knows that are younger. I mean, like it just keeps going. I mean, because I think horror itself is just so relative. Like everyone's everyone t- wants to be scared, and everyone wants to learn th- from their fears and whatnot. So. I, I think it's always there. And it's just cool that you're a part of it. I mean, like, honestly, I, I, from my point of view, you're part of the greatest Stephen King adaptation out there. And even, even over Shawshank, <laughs> I know we were talking about it before. I definitely say just cause I think it's so, it's such, it's such, it's such a more relating film and there's something that's so precious about it. And that movie could have gone awry so easily because of the kids and the themes and it never gets too precious and it never gets too uh, saccharine and never, it, it just, it's just great. And it's just, I don't know, but, um, yeah, Jerry, I thank just want to say thanks. No, thank you for talking to us. And I hope to we talk again in the future. This would be awesome. And we will definitely campaign for it for you. Oh my God, that's a genius <laughs> idea. It has to happen. Yeah. It's I can't I yeah. cannot unsee this now. I'll give um, you 
I'll give you exclusives from the from the set. All right. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. We got to <laughs> make right. this happen. And See also you, the man. breathing method. See you soon. Yeah, thanks. See ya. <laughs> Later. What a wet end you are, Legends. Shut up. I don't shut up. Shut up. I, I grow up. up. And, and when, when I look at you, I throw up. <laughs> and then your mother goes around the corner and she licks it up. Oh. Hello? Yes. Good morning. Hey. Hi. This is uh, Mike Rothman. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you for asking. Well, I wanted to talk to you. Um, I know the 30th, 30th anniversary of Stand By Me is is behind us, but <laughs> we reached the body, and uh, we thought mm-hmm. we'd, we'd uh, you know speak to you about Stand By Me and your experiences with Stephen sure. King. And and I guess the first thing I wanted to know is what are your earliest experiences with Stephen King? And did you read him prior to joining the cast of Stand By Me? I don't think that I did. Um, you know, I may have. I can't remember if I read night shift before or after I was cast in stand by me. It's around that time. Um, uh, I was familiar with him. I I knew him as a horror writer. Um, and I remember that around the time we were having all of the auditions for the movie that there was a lot made about how he, you know, this was a Stephen King story, but it wasn't like a Stephen King story. Yeah. Um, and uh, when I was cast in the movie, I got different seasons uh, at the library. And then, like, I tore through it. I, I just, I, I, I've always been like a really avid reader, but it was so great that I just tore through it. And then when I was finished, um, back in those days, they would have those little rotating racks at like the grocery store or the drugstore that had oh, paperbacks yeah. on them. And there were always Stephen King books there. And I just started picking up whichever one had the most interesting cover. And <laughs> nice. I, I probably, I probably read, you know, I think I read all of, of everything that was available at that point in like, that would have been like 85, 86. Oh, wow. Wow. So you, so coming into the uh, the movie, you actually, I mean, everyone knew who Stephen King was, I imagine at the time. So it was kind of a... Was it a big deal knowing that you were going to be involved in, in, in a King story or was it more of just that you were working with Rob Reiner? This is a big production, um, you know, because I imagine as a kid, I mean, growing up because I, I was born in 84. So I but growing up, I remember Stephen King being almost like this kind of looming presence of like, oh, yeah, his books like it's almost like an enigma to him, um, you know, his, that that. Oh, yeah, he has some very scary stuff like there's this sort of myth around him. Um, was that at all, like kind of a notion going into the movie? Um, um, I don't remember feeling like this is, you know, I, I knew that the, I, I knew that all of the adults in my life were really, really hyped about Rob Reiner and Stephen King. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, I, I, I just, I just was, I was just doing my job. Yeah. And, and, um, I remember that my parents and my agent were, were, they were like, they were very intense about, about like these auditions and this film and and the opportunity that that it presented and all that. Um, and I, was just doing the best that I could to, you know, to get the job. Mm -hmm. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't until 
I had been cast that, um, that I started to, to really think about like, uh, you know, kind of like what it meant and what it meant to be in this film. And, um, you know, people always ask us if we expected it to be what it became. And like, I knew that it was going to be something special. I think we all felt that when we were working on the set. Yeah. Um, I hadn't worked enough at that point in my life to know that just because it was a movie, that didn't mean that it was going to be a movie people cared about. <laughs> um, and I, I remember uh, like being completely unprepared for what, what the film eventually, you know, became. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's interesting though. Cause I mean, you watch the film and it's so, everything seems so natural. And the thing I love about it is that, you know, you get to this, you, there's a feeling to it that, um, it's almost like it, it's like precious without being precious. Like, and it's, and it's natural without even trying, like, it doesn't feel scripted, but at the same time, you know, that this is great writing. <laughs> like it's like this weird yeah, I, writing. It's this weird blurred line between those two, you know, it's just, it's very honest. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's very honest and, and it's, um, there's a, there's a simplicity to it without it being simplistic. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that, 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 that's a common thread that runs through Stephen King's best work. Yeah. Um, there is, there is this relatable, simple honesty to it. Um, that even in, in a supernatural setting, um, it at its like at its foundation, every one of his stories has a character that is grounded in a reality that we can relate to. Yeah, is that something that you you really felt when you were reading the script, even for the first time? Um, that you felt that they they really captured that. Um, I wasn't sophisticated enough as an, as, as an actor and a reader. I mean, I was only 12 when we did it. <laughs> yeah, so, so I didn't, I didn't have that. I didn't have that level of, of insight. Um, uh, I've been, you know, talking about stand by me for over 30 years now. So it is something that I've thought about a lot mm -hmm. and, and it's a, uh, you know, and, and this is, this is a question that comes up quite a bit. Um, I, uh, I, I, I think that, that one of the reasons the story works very well and it translated very well to film and that the film is as enduring and memorable and relatable as it is, is, um, uh, that it is like this, these characters in the story, like whether you grew up in a rural area or you grew up in the, in the heart of, of a big city like Chicago or Manhattan, mm -hmm. Stephen King wrote about, and then Rob Reiner kind of brought life the kinds of friendships and relationships that we all have at that moment in our life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such, that's what I think is so timeless about it. Um, and I think that one of the things we talked about in the podcast over the weekend, even just in the story itself is that, um, I feel like everyone knows a Teddy, everyone knows a Vern. Um, and, sure. and, and what's interesting is when we went around saying like, well, who do you connect with the most? And everyone was like, you know, I'd like, to, I'd like to be, you know, Chris or Gordy, <laughs> but you know, at some point and probably sure. Teddy at one point. And I think just even, even ourselves, I think could see a lot of the reactions that these characters have. Um, 
and yeah, and I think I think that is such a, uh, an emblematic thing about Stephen King as well. I mean, like, even with like, um, have you read it before? Or um, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just seems. Yeah, like... I read I read it in uh, I read it in hardback. Oh, nice. I, I remember I, I I bought it at like a B Dalton bookstore in a mall when those were still you know when those oh, still yeah. existed. I used to live in those. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and and that was there. There are probably you know there's. There's, uh, like, um, it, the eyes of the dragon, the stand Salem's lot, um, and, uh, and the second dark tower book are, 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 are ones that immediately come to mind that I started reading and I did nothing else until I was finished with them. Yeah. Yeah. Like they were just so compelling and, and so just completely engrossing. Um, that, uh, you know, that I, that I just, I didn't want to put them down. I didn't want to leave that world. No, definitely. I mean, you, you said the same. <laughs> I, re- I remember, I remember, I remember getting in trouble in school. Um, I, this is like after stand by me. So when I, when we, when, when, uh, when we did the movie, I only read the body. I didn't read all the other stories and for instance, yeah. um, uh, I, I like, I dove to the body and I just, I read the body and I, and I to get the most out of it that I could. So then I was in school and I remember this would have been, I mean, I was probably like, I was probably, yeah, I was like 13. This was in between stand by me and star Trek. Um, I was in school and I had different seasons in my lap and I was reading Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. And it, and, and it was like, and it was in my lap. And I remember thinking, cause I'd finished whatever, I think it was a math class. I had finished my, my classwork. And I remember thinking, I just want to go back and spend some time with Andy and red. Yeah. And, and I, and I was like back into that book and then I got in trouble because <laughs> like we weren't allowed to do that in class. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's funny. I, I used to do that, and um, I, I'm from a Jewish family where I went to a Catholic school, and uh, and they, it was already weird enough there. But I, I, I was reading um, Brady Snell's American Psycho in the theology yeah. class, and it was just wedged in between one of the Bibles, and my teacher had just grabbed it from me and and, and i guess it, he'd been from the generation i knew how controversial the book was and he's like it's just like a british guy who's like i can't believe you're reading american psycho in my theology class and then like the bookmark was in like the worst spot of ever and he was like i'm bringing this to oh, the headmaster. No. and i was like oh my god please god just give me that book like you are going to like put me in therapy if you look at what is on those pages like oh my gosh like right. just give it back to me please I'll, I'll take i'll take all the detention i'll never open it up again but um so that was like the last time i ever did that <laughs> <laughs> but no, but it, it's, it's funny how stories stick with you. Like I, it's, you know, you said that you, you didn't want to do anything else, but read these books. And I, I feel like that's pretty much how, um, we are with the, with King even now. It's just, it, it's, it becomes this other world that you become so comfortable in because he's so well at, uh, he's so well adept at like being able to create that world. I mean, you mentioned Salem's lot and like when we went in chronological order and he does this with Carrie for the most part, but Salem's lots really where he constructs a world and you're like, holy shit, I, feel like I can drive down the streets. <laughs> like I know where I'm yeah. going. Um, and I, and, and I think even with I the, read, Oh, go for it. Go for it. I read Salem's lot, um, uh, sitting, uh, in, in, in the house, sitting in front of my fireplace. <laughs> and, uh, and, and there was, uh, I don't recall specifically what moment it was in the book, but, 
um, there was something terrifying happening in in the story. Yeah. And while while I, while that was happening, um, uh, there was it was like it wasn't windy, but it was breezy, mm-hmm. and something was blowing against the window outside the where I was where I was sitting reading, <laughs> and it like legitimately scared the crap out of me. <laughs> and that's you know like as much as I enjoy the horror in his in his books, they don't. They don't generally, generally they don't scare me. No, me either. Uh, yeah. uh, I find it more compelling and interesting. But that was a moment where I was so engrossed in what was happening uh, that uh, that just like that gentle tapping of like a like a, a something on the on the windshield on you know I'm sorry on the window behind me like that was enough to like make me kind of jump out of my skin. Oh, absolutely. I mean, especially given the scenes in the, in that book, uh, involving the windows, it'd be, that would just be too, too, uh, art imitating or life imitating art at that point for me. Um, yeah. I would lose yeah. It. Uh, it's interesting. Cause I, I think the body, the body actually has a weird connection to Salem's lot. Cause we were, when we were looking at it, um, this past weekend, uh, I guess he was, I guess he wrote the body around the same time that he was doing Salem's lot. And, um, Gordy, I think, or Chris has a vision of a man hanging upside down with a green face or something. And that is the same vision that Ben has in Salem's lot. So there's kind of like the, and then the kids mentioned oh, Jerusalem. Cool. I don't, I don't remember that. So you technically have a connection with a uh, Salem's lot, even a uh, spiritually with your <laughs> character. So that's kind of cool. But, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, looking back though, um, what would you, I mean, now that you've, I mean, I'm sure you've read far more at this point, um, with, with King, like what are, what are some of the books that really stick with you even now? Um, you know, 30, 40 years later at this point, I loved the entire dark tower series. Um, I, 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 I especially loved, um, getting to know, um, uh, 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 in, in, uh, uh, song of Susanna, um, like when they're going back to where, um, they're, they're, uh, really young and, and like, uh, uh, that experience, like getting to know Roland as he like, you know, was leading all these people into that box Canyon and stuff. There was something really wonderful about that. Um, I, you know, I really, really, really liked eyes of the dragon. See, I I just think it is just a, I just think it is just a fantastic fantasy novel and, and, and I, I feel like it kind of just gets forgotten because it's so outside of his general like genre. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, uh, probably the short story collections, night shift and skeleton crew, you know, like the mist really stuck with me yeah, and the totally. jaunt really stuck with me and the mangler, like they were those, I was reading those stories at a time in my life when I was like, Re, I was kind of opening up my my uh, my my imagination to accept that there are there are uh, there are story worlds that aren't strictly realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that 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 can have these odd supernatural elements in them. Um, because the only other genre that I read extensively was science fiction. Yeah. Um, and, and getting to like find this thing. And it's weird cause I didn't really read any other, any other stuff that would be considered horror at all. 
Um, and, and the supernatural stuff I read were like those time life books that we would get at the grocery store. Um, uh, that's like the secrets of the unknown, uh, yeah. series from the eighties. Um, so it was, it was those short story collections, um, that, that were really influential on me, uh, both as an eventual writer, um, and, uh, and, you know, just, just as a fan of his work. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love that he's able to mix that and it doesn't, it never feels, um, weighted either way. It just is kind of like, I don't know the word for it. I guess it like coagulates with the narrative in such a way that you kind of believe it. I mean, cause you mentioned the mangler and like it, uh, if you look, you know, on paper, it seems so when you, when you do sell the elevator pitch for it, it's like, Oh, you know, it's a laundromat that comes to life from people are like, wait, what the hell are you talking about? And then like, but then you read it and you're like, Oh no, this, this, this seems like this is, this checks out. Like this is a, I totally am with this story. It, they totally sell it. And by the time the thing leaves the, the laundry and going down the street, you're like, it's actually terrifying. Even though, you know, if you had heard it and not just actually read the story, you'd be like, this is ridiculous. Like this is the most <laughs> perverse story. Um, but he sells it. Like he just, he just knows that he's just so good at that. I, I don't, I, I don't know. It's like, he could take the wildest idea and just make it seem so realistic and you'd absolutely buy it. Um, which is fun. Um, but I, you know, I, what's interesting just listening to you talk about like, you know, genres and books and, and, and all is you are so similar to your character in the, in, in, um, in, in standby and, in, and also in the body and like, you know, and you became a writer and I've read in past interviews how you'd said that the, the, the role actually did like impact you in some way. Um, but I wondered like, did it actually, do you think it actually informed your career decision and wanting to write and be a little bit more of a reader? I, I, yeah, I, I mean, yes, yes and no. Um, I, one of the reasons stand by me is, is such a successful film. And one of the reasons that it, that it continues to, resonate with audiences um is is rob reiner's casting right rob Mm -hmm. rob made sure that he cast four kids who were essentially the the characters that we played Mm -hmm. um even in ways that that we weren't aware of yeah um and we had so much in common with our characters uh, with the, with the things that fundamentally like motivated our characters, um, that that we were uh, we were able to just kind of exist within the narrative, and uh, and they just rolled the cameras and kind of captured that. At, at that point in my life, I already I had already I loved telling stories. And I loved like kind of escaping into my imagination. I was a weird kid. I was shy. I was cerebral. I was uncoordinated. I was really awkward. Um, and uh, I got a lot of comfort and and like safety in uh, role playing games. And it was like I was a Dungeons and Dragons kid. And I kind of figured out really early on that what I liked about a role-playing game was not 
you know, rolling the dice and getting the treasure, but it was like imagining a story and inhabiting a character and, and, you know, letting that like making their life exist and, 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 and telling that story. And then I just started writing stories down and, 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 uh, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're what you could do when you're, 10, 11, 12 years old, but mm-hmm. you know, there's still stories. And I wrote ghost stories cause I thought they were cool. Yeah. And, um, and I wrote science fiction stories because like I loved Star Trek and Star Wars and Buck Rogers and Battlestar Galactica. And like, that was my thing. Mm-hmm. Then when we started doing press for stand by me, people started to ask me if I was a writer like Gordy was. And I had never thought of myself as a writer. I had always thought of myself as an actor. But being an actor wasn't something that I chose for myself. It wasn't something that I had this overwhelming passion to do. It wasn't something where where like I was really, you know, I was really driven and I had this dream. Like it was, that's what my parents had me do. Mm -hmm. And it was like real important to my mom. And like, as a kid, you want to make your parents happy. So I did what was important to my parents, which was be an actor. So when interviewers started asking me if I was a writer like Gordy, I kind of felt like, well, I should say yes, because that's the answer they want. But (laughs) Uh, but but also like that's kind of what I wanted to do. Yeah, I just I wanted to tell stories, and the way that I told stories was being an actor, right? Like mm-hmm. I was telling other people's stories. I was bringing other people's characters and ideas to life. And it wasn't until I was in my twenties that I I realized that like I just like made the commitment to tell my own stories and, and, and start to share my own ideas with, with people. So it was influential on me in, in as much as it made me start thinking about like, is this something that I want to do? Mm-hmm. And, and is this something that I could do? Cause I felt like my, my life path had been chosen for me and I had no choice. I had to stay on it. You know, I had to, uh, uh, I had to, I, I had to be an actor and I had to be a successful actor and, and writing kind of has always held a, a, a degree of, 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 uh, uh, passion and, and, and like, like need that, uh, that acting doesn't, you know, it's, I wonder, one of the things I was going to ask is, you know, sometime last year, or maybe it was earlier. I can't remember which what the date was on the the actual interview. But you had said that the film, or one of the pitfalls of the film, was that it it kind of turned your the rest of your life into what you called like a sophomore jinx. And does that have to do with this? Yes. Yeah. Is that is that because I was going to ask what, what what you meant by that? And does that have to do with like what you were saying with like the acting and the writing, or um, were you? Felt- yeah, I think I I think so. Yeah, I mean it's it's it is, you know, it's 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 hard to be it's hard to be a, a child actor, um, whether you're successful or not. Um, but there's also this thing that happens where, I mean, it's, it's my life experience, so I don't know anything different, but it feels weird to have had such a, such a, a a successful, uh, like, like piece of, of work in my life when I'm so young. Yeah that that 
like, you know, I, I, I struggle to feel like, yes, I'm proud of this and I can stand on, on, on its shoulders. And it is, and it is also really frustrating to feel like I can't top that and I can't even match it. And, and that is, that's something that I struggle with every day. And, uh, I, I, I know that, that one of the, one of the, the reasons that I just kind of decided to stop trying was that I just got a lot of joy and, and fulfillment, um, uh, you know, being, being the writer that I always wanted to be, even if I'm not going to be as successful as a writer as I, as I once was as an actor, um, I'm a lot happier doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting though. I mean, cause it's, you've written, I mean, gosh, when was your first, was your first book in the early 2000s or like uh, early on? Yeah, I think, yeah, I, 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 I feel like I wrote it around, I probably wrote it in 2001, 2002. And I think, I think we published in 2003, yeah. maybe 2004, something like that, something like that. What was your feeling? Which then? feels like any feel it feels just feels like a lifetime ago. Oh, it does. Yeah. Well, two thousand four feels forever ago, <laughs> even for yeah. me. Um, I, yeah. I, I pinch myself all the time when I like look at movies that came out, and I'm like, oh, that was oh four. Oh, interesting. I thought that was ninety two. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, how, what was your feeling like when you first finally got published? Is it was there some sort of um, was there, was it a relieving thing? Was it, you know, you, you go to the store, you see your own book. Is it, was it something that you had just been working towards for this long? And then you finally got there and you're like, Oh, okay, this is it. I can do this. Let's keep doing um, it. <laughs> you know, it was, it was, it was exciting to, to, to like, to have that, like to, to have the validation and, 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 and to feel like, um, uh, like, like I, uh, a, a, a story I, I told was, you know, was sort of like approved by, by the publishing industry. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know, my, my book, just a geek was, it was, I was really just, dis- I, I, I did not, the publisher and I were not a good match. They didn't really know how to, how to promote what the book was. Um, and I didn't have enough experience at the time to know how to talk to the publisher. Mm -hmm. And, and I didn't, I didn't know how to like, I just didn't know how to choose a publisher. I was very naive. And I just thought like, you know, this is a good story and and people like it. So it's going to do well on its own. And I had no idea that like, that's just not the reality of, of publishing. It's not egalitarian. And, 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 um, even, even if it's, even if, even if a thing like seems like it finds an audience in a particular way that a publisher is really happy to just cater to that audience and not try to take it further than that. And it was actually a really frustrating experience for me to go into bookstores and see that it was like, it wasn't shelved in biography and and memoir. It was like shelved in science fiction. And I was like, that's not where it belongs. And that's not who, you know, that's, that's not who I wrote this for. And, and, and it was, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a disappointing, uh, it was an instructive experience, but ultimately a very disappointing experience. Um, and, uh, and I, and I watched like, um, my friends who, have published their own memoirs in the last few years. And, and, you know, they went on to be New York times bestsellers. And I, and I, and I often feel like shit, man, I did it too soon. Like I was the first one out <laughs> and it wasn't <laughs> like, I just like, you know, you never want to be the first. You always want to be, you always want to be the second or third. Yeah. Of um, course, yeah. <laughs> and, 
And, uh, and, you know, if, if I could do it all over again, uh, you know, I would probably, I would do things, I would still publish the same story, but I would just do it in a different way. Well, what's interesting is that, you know, I, I the, the whole like geek culture or geek dumb for lack of a better word, I guess, is, is become so ubiquitous nowadays. Whereas I, I feel like even then you were ahead of the curve also. I mean, like, it seems that, I mean, granted you were on Star Trek from like 80, late eighties to the early nineties. And, but it's, it feels like in, somewhere in the early aughts, you, you had some sort of revelation that like, you, cause you had already, you had already, you've had a blog, you had already cultivated it, you know, obviously a following by then, but it feels like there was some sort of revelation where you're like, oh wait, I am connected to a culture and I'm going to like totally go all in and, and, and like embrace this as much as possible. Or is that, or was that kind of just already in motion? No, I mean, no, it, it, it wasn't, it really wasn't like that. I mean, there, there was, you know, like, like there was no plan. I was just being who I was yeah, and I was just using the, I was using the, the communication tools that were available to me at the time to, to do what I wanted to do. You know, one of the things that was really cathartic and, and valuable and meaningful for me in the early two thousands with the beginning of my blog and the, like the, it was at a moment when blogs were really like kind of starting to, uh, become like a thing. Right. And like, like there were things that people were aware of for the first time in my life, I was able to speak for myself without a filter. Yeah. I didn't have a journalist, uh, shaping a narrative. I didn't have a publicist telling me how I had to tell the story. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't have to, to fight to like get my version of myself, um, out into the world. I could just be who I was and tell my story and write about it. And at that moment in time, that was unique. That yeah. was new. Um, nobody was doing it. Um, it's impossible. Like I, you couldn't do it now. Um, uh, I was just really lucky. You know, I was, I, I was what I was doing and the way I was doing it just happened to be perfectly tailored for that moment in yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I look back at that cause we, we had, um, I mean, similarly, like, I think like a few years later around like Oh seven, Oh eight is when we kind of started the music site, um, that, that I run with my colleague and it was just a right window too. It was just, there was no, there weren't a lot of music blogs out there. It was just kind of, there was a dearth of it. Like there, there's nobody was really talking about certain things. I mean, then now you look around now and it's like, Oh my God, you can't even get two cents in. I mean, like today, for example, the, um, you know, like the reviews for the Star Wars film came out and it's like literally at 11 o'clock and it, 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 they lifted embargo and there's like a thousand reviews within five minutes. And it's yeah. just like, how does anyone get any, you know, two cents in it? It's like, but that wasn't the case back. And I remember in the early odds, it was just, it was actually kind of hard to find a really good blog that you'd want to find, you know, find. And then you'd, you'd have like small little like niche uh, or boutique fandoms <laughs> that you'd pop up and you'd be like, Ooh, I like this blog or I like that blog. And like live journal was big. And it's just such a different, it's just so interesting to go back and look at that early era. Uh, um, well, our, our online, our online space then, which, you know, when it was live journal and blogger yeah. and, and the beginning of MySpace and, 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 and that, that whole time, that was when voices that were ignored by big media, um, 
went to those spaces yep. to to speak. Yeah. And we were very much like we were scoffed at and we were ignored and and uh, and we were kind of like humored by, you know, mainstream big media companies. Mm-hmm. And at, at this moment in time, I mean, and probably as recently as like, you know, maybe even seven or eight years ago, um, uh the space that we had available to us in the early 2000s because the the big media companies weren't there that space doesn't exist anymore no. the big media companies have come in and over the over time and have just repurposed our our tools and our communication areas and 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 platforms and things and used them uh the way that they had been you know completely monopolizing tv and movies and newspapers and magazines and that has you know like that's that's good in some ways um but but also the signal to noise ratio is not as good as it as it used to be and it is incredibly difficult just for any anyone who anyone to get discovered Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like it was sort of like like um, you know something like Twitter or Instagram was was this interesting unique place um, uh, where you know for the first couple of years of its existence and then the Kardashians showed up. It's true. And and yeah. and it and it just and it just became another piece of shitty pop culture media that we all kind of went there to get away from. Yeah. And now there's really no place you can go to get away from it. No, there isn't. It's, it's gotten, um, it's interesting. We're in a a weird period where I think everyone is kind of like looking for the next thing. Although I think a lot of people are just trying to create their own sort of personal followings as opposed to a community, um, which is kind of, um, counterintuitive to what social media was about originally. But um, I agree. Yeah. I mean like the influencers that came into, to a lot of these social media platforms really did kind of just jarringly take over in a way that it's impossible to, to have any sort of back and forth without it be, always going back to that sort of thing. And it's like, it's basically just become like a wasteland for memes at this point. And, um, and which is unfortunate. I, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, cause I was going to ask you like, Cause you don't, I don't think you have a, you don't have a Twitter, right? I mean, you originally had a, had one from a few years ago, I think for a show, but like, I, I, I was shocked that I did, you didn't see you on Twitter. Um, but I, I imagine that's for that reason, right? <laughs> like, it's just like, what, what's um, the point? <laughs> or do you, I, I don't, I don't use Twitter that much. Yeah. Um, uh, not, 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 not like, not like I used to. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I was, I mean, I was one of the, I was one of the original Twitter accounts. Um, uh, my, my friend got me, got me hooked on it, like right after Twitter launched. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, that's actually something that like, that was one of those things that I feel like I was there for the growth mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and, and I was there for like the, I was there for the beginnings of it. Um, and I absolutely hate what it's become. Yeah. Um, I think Jack Dorsey should resign and I think he should apologize to the world. Yeah. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's not, uh, you know, it's, it was, it was something really great. Um, and now I think it might be one of the worst things to, to happen to, to society, uh, to maybe, uh, certainly in this century. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's especially with what it's done with uh, <laughs> the president, uh, and, yeah, and where that's gone. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just a, a mess. Um, oh no, I am absolutely wrong. You have like, like three million followers. <laughs> yeah, on your Twitter. I was I was gonna say because I couldn't find it at first, and I was like, oh, it's Will W. So okay, yeah, um, interesting. Yeah, so um, I mean, it's it's the relationship with social media is 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 interesting. I, but I imagine with, for, for someone like at, at your point now you've built up such a following and the culture that you were a part of for so long is now so omnipresent. Like, I mean, you got like the, I mean, there's like the whole like Nerdist thing and um, it, it just seems like it's like, it's kind of in, in like in vogue and in, in chic now, which I mean, for us, I mean, one, one of my, my best friends owns a, a podcast called nerdy show and they always get frustrated because they try to, they, they look at, a lot of nerd culture at a micro level where he, you know, they argue that like a lot of these more popular podcasts sometimes look at it at a macro and that's not kind of really what the original geek culture used to be about. It used to be about like getting as far deep as possible. And, um, it just seems like there's some sort of super superficiality to it now that wasn't there 10 years ago online. Um, or even five years ago. I think online. it's still, um- I, I I disagree. I think that yeah. it's still there. I think that the that the that the the the, the ability to deep dive and and the you know the the ability to to find people who love things the way you you love them uh, that's still there. It just takes more work. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's it's just you know like there's just there's more channels available right now and and the the signal to noise ratio is not good um, yeah. but but the, what what really matters i think is curation and and finding finding a person uh or 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 a group of people who are a really good human filter for things. I mean, mm-hmm. it's what magazine editors used to do. It's yep. what music critics used to be. It's, you know, it's what like, you know, it is, it is, it's how we discover things and how we, you know, I, I used to know that if I found a person who like, if I found a person who liked the misfits and Depeche Mode the same way I did, well, like, and, and me and comic books, well, there was a, there was a person who was weird exactly the same way I was. <laughs> yeah. And, and for a while it was really easy to find that. Um, and, and at the moment it's just, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's, 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 uh, uh, the, the landscape is really crowded. Um, but I think there's room for everything, you know, like yeah. everybody, um, I think things being, being, uh, uh, accessible to people, I think is really important, mm-hmm. right? Like nobody become nobody becomes, well, very few people become passionate science fiction fans because they saw the director's cut of Blade Runner, right? Like that is an amazing movie. It is my favorite version of that film. I absolutely love it. But if that had been my introduction to it, I would have been overwhelmed. I would have been lost. It's Mm -hmm. the same thing with Dune, right? Like, you know, if someone sits down, if you know, sits down and does, and, and, and does that, they're going to be overwhelmed by it. Nobody becomes, uh, or rather, I'm sorry, very few people become a passionate, tabletop game players because someone sat them down with Agricola or Eclipse <laughs> or, uh, or Power Grid, you, yeah. you know, or, or Puerto Rico. Right. I mean, like, like you, people start out with Ticket to Ride. They start out with Munchkin. They start out with Sushi Go. Like there's, there's, there are degrees of, of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, what I, what I, where I am concerned, uh, uh, and, and what is disappointing to me is, is that, that the, 
that, that you know, for someone who is not, so for someone who loves those things mm-hmm. and someone who, who wants to share that love with those things. And for someone who, who wants to curate those things and, and, and like, you know, and, and eventually work their way into becoming an authority in, in those areas, it's very hard for someone who is not already well-known and recognizable to get a foothold in, in the culture right now, yeah. because, because a media company with a lot of, of resources and a lot of money and a lot of reach is going to put someone in there who, who has already, you know, who, who doesn't need the opportunity to like work their way in. They're already there. And I wonder like what kind of voices we, you know, we're, we're just going to miss because they're not having that opportunity to it, to, 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 to be, to, uh, to be heard and to be discovered. Yeah. And that's exactly the the frustration I think, uh, my friend and my friends have It's just that, you know, they've, you keep going and going as hard as you can, but you're never, these, these Titans are out there that aren't even approaching it at a level of that the fans typically want, because that's not what is, that's not what they're, these, you know, there's just the, there is that sort of power struggle there. And I, and I don't think that's going to go away, unfortunately, because I think it's just, I think every industry, whenever anything becomes sort of popular or not an industry, but any sort of genre or, or, um, or even just any vertical becomes popular there. Eventually it just becomes usurped by those that want to just install something else in there and make it the kind of status quo. And, um, I guess it kind of almost becomes like the music thing uh, in a way where you have like the mainstream and then the underground <laughs> again, and you kind of just, yeah, I mean, go. and I, and I, I, I think that also there, there's a, um, um, there, there is, audiences and and passionate people are smart and and you know there there is absolutely a like i think that we underestimate audiences i think we underestimate um like like uh the you know for the most part people can see through bullshit Mm -hmm. and and that and and when you know there are sometimes you want some we want something that we want to we want to experience something because the people behind it are passionate and other times we want to experience something because the people behind it are just super professional, Yeah, you know? And, and, and I think that there's room for all of this. It's just that the, the, the entrenched, um, uh, like, uh, uh, power and financial power and, and, uh, and, and, and reach of, um, of, of established legacy media companies it just overwhelms um, what used to be a, a, a an environment where um, where new voices and and and, uh, and and undiscovered voices had an opportunity um, to to venture out and sort of like you know stake a claim. Yeah, I mean, so like I mean, we're we're sort of like you know we're the we're the we're gold mining country, but it's like. It you know it's it's not 1846 anymore. It's like 1896 now, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and you know, and the and and it's just it's just harder. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's there. there there's still some ways to kind of unite and, and and get get some like. I mean, that's why I love Reddit. I love the subreddits there. Um, it, it, except there, it, it feels like there's kind of like 
stripped of personality a little bit because nobody really kind of knows anyone. <laughs> it's just, you know, oh, this one got like a thousand upvotes, so, uh, but I don't really re- recognize this person. It's just, it's, it's a very weird, I still haven't grappled with the community in ways that I used to with like message boards and, um, and blogs, uh, just cause it's, I just think there's so many users that come in and out of it, but, um, that, sure. that feels like the closest to me of like the old form of being able to kind of have deep dives and, and really people finding like the craziest stuff about something that you didn't think of before and having these awesome theories and whatnot. But, um, have you, have you, do you I ever- think it's also, I, I mean, I, I think it's important that we remember also that when, when, when like bulletin boards and message forums were new, we didn't know what they were. No. We didn't know, like they, they, we made them what they were, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, like when, when, uh, when, when that was happening at, you know, now, like almost 20 years ago, we were like, we were making that happen and we were defining what it was going to be. And right now there's a, there's a generation of users and they're deciding what sites like Reddit are going to be. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I think that, that we have to be, like there's a there there is a time where we who are kind of like old guard we kind of have to get out of the way and let 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 you know let the people who are us from 20 years ago uh establish themselves and decide what these are going to be yeah. and uh you know and we you know we have to be willing to change as the times change a little bit um and 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 you know and I I like the concern that I keep coming back to is that's just going to get harder and harder to do um, because, uh, uh, you know, everything is like, we're, it's our ability to, to get into those areas is now is it's not as, as, as available as it was. I mean, you know, we're looking at right now, we're looking at, at the FCC gutting network neutrality and allowing, and allowing companies, allowing media companies and, and allowing like, like companies like Comcast to, to shape and control all of, you know, what the internet is like, and they're going to have an even higher degree of control there, you know, there would imagine if there was no Reddit because, um, Comcast's version of it or, or, um, or Verizon's version of it, um, is the one that you can get. Right. And then like, that's, that's it. You know, there's, there won't be, there won't be, there wouldn't be a YouTube, um, because the uh, you know the AOL version of it that's owned by Time Warner is is the only one that that you can get. Yeah, which is terrifying. Um, so uh, yeah, so like you know this is there's there's this is a this is it's there are things that are worth fighting for. Yeah, um, and 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 worth preserving. Um, and uh, you know as we've talked about this, I, I feel like there is no simple easy. Um, playbook for it. It's complicated and it's messy and, and ultimately it's, it's going to be decided by the people who are willing to fight for it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I, I don't know where this goes to be honest with you. Like right now, I mean, I, I, the last few days have been interesting. I feel like there's been some sort of movement, but not really as much as I, I don't think people really understand the gravity of it. Um, a little bit like we've, for example, like we've been trying on our site, we've been trying to push for it for months now. And like, eventually we're ramping up obviously with what's going on this past week, but there still doesn't seem to be like an urgency, which is kind of, I, I, my, my fear is that the change will happen and people then will start feeling like, Oh, I, we got to do something. And then it's already too late. And <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I think a lot of that is, 
a, a lot of that right now is connected to the tremendous fatigue that people have because it feels like every day we have to fight for something. Yeah. And it's like, seriously, we got to fight for this now. Yeah. Didn't we just fight through this? You know, every day is like that. Yeah. And, and I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't presume that people are, are uninformed or uninterested. I think that they're just overwhelmed. Um, and it's, you know, and it's, it's, it's really hard. There's like, there's somebody described, uh, uh, this like right now, and then it kind of starts with, with Trump that it's sort of like a, it's a denial of service attack on humanity. Um, and, and, uh, and, and it's, and it's, I think, I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty dead on. I mean, I I think it's, it's an interesting era because one one of the things I wanted to ask you about was your relationship with the, the concept of nostalgia, because I feel like in a way, um, I, I could see why people are so nostalgic right now because the current sure. times are kind of crazy and, you know, the future is a little uncertain. And I think that's why, you know, things like Stranger Things is huge and obviously the reboots and whatnot are, are big. And I want to know what you thought about that, because, I mean, like, I, I mean, obviously the conceit of this interview started with talking about something that was from the past and 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 I. And, and a lot of it comes from the fact that, I mean, for, for, for one thing, we started this podcast out of the comfortability of knowing that we can just kind of escape into these books and we knew that this year was going to be rough. And uh, But I don't know how uh, – my, my whole thing with nostalgia is I've always had a weird um, hot and cold thing with it because on one hand it's great to look back on some things, but at the same time you don't want to rest on you know laurels and comfortability when other things are kind of happening at the moment. But what, 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 how do you look at it? Like how do, what, how do you wrestle with nostalgia? The thing that is great about nostalgia is how comforting it is. And it's comforting by design. We, we, I, I think that we accept and we acknowledge that we are looking back on an idealized version of, of an event or a place or a person or a toy or whatever it is. And that we're okay with that, mm-hmm. right? That when we look back on nostalgia, what we are, you know, when when I look at at pictures of like, like the the, the little muscle action figures from the early eighties, <laughs> um, when I look at those, you know, what I remember is, uh, like, I remember being a little kid and sitting uh, on the floor in the living room and playing with those figures. Mm-hmm. And that reminds me of sitting on the floor in the living room and watching like wrestling on Saturday morning or watching, uh, uh, cartoons, um, or, or, or talking about the twilight zone with my friends because we would watch it after school. And I get nostalgic for those times and those memories. They are like, they're, they're deeply satisfying, um, uh, memories, even if we tend to rub off the rough edges and we, you know, we, we overlook the, the, the times that are bad, you know, I mean, like, here's a great example, right? Stand by me is this incredibly nostalgic picture for people, for, for, for people who were kids in the Mm fifties, they remember, you know, they're like, oh yes, I remember those, those days. I remember, you know, Coca-Cola in green bottles and drive-in movies and, and, uh, uh, you know, like a small town America, but they tend to overlook like 
institutionalized racism exactly. that everybody yeah. accepted. Yeah. They tend to overlook like the the growing the the, the 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 beginnings of the Cold War and and institutionalized sexism and 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 homophobia and things like that. They just want to remember the part that they you know that they liked that was meaningful to them. Same thing for people who who saw Stand by Me when it came out in the eighties, right? Like we will remember being teenagers and going to a you know going to the movie theater and 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 seeing it and then we remember like going to the arcade or going to the roller rink and riding yeah. our bikes and there's nothing wrong with that yeah. like that's great yeah. that's why nostalgia feels so good mm-hmm. like it feels good to to remember those things but nostalgia by design is is a way to overlook or or in some cases even rewrite the things that that are not good or the things that are painful or uncomfortable or whatever in service of of building up the things that are that are really good. Um, And, you know, I haven't lived long enough to know if there is a correlation and or causation between like looking around and going, man, I don't like the world right now and it doesn't look familiar to me and it doesn't feel comfortable to me. Um, and, and then at the same, you know, and then simultaneously like, you know, longing for the good old days or whatever, you know, yeah. I don't, I, I, I presume that that's gone on forever. You know, you can look at, you can look at newspapers from the 1800s and find people complaining that people read newspapers on the stage coach instead of talking to people you know like whatever yeah, happened to people true. talking to each other right yeah. um and and you know you can see it with you know whatever happened to people uh, uh you know gathering around the radio and listening to it you know listening to to orphan annie now you know now all they want to do is watch the tv yeah. you know well, well whatever happened to people watching tv now they go to movie theaters where nobody even talks to each other i mean like that that's gone on forever oh, and absolutely. that will go on and that will go on forever that is that is going to be as fundamental a part of our of our culture as as any other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I don't I don't think there is anything wrong with like wrapping yourself up in a warm blanket of nostalgia um, <laughs> as 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 long as long as we acknowledge what you know what it is mm-hmm. and and that it is imperfect and that we don't allow ourselves to be like seduced by that warm blanket into thinking that like. Oh, if we could just make things the way they were, then then everything's going to be great. And this, this feeling of uncertainty and this feeling of, of of frustration or this feeling of anxiety that I have right now is going to magically disappear because they're, you know, I, I think that we are going to look back in, in, you know, even right now, even now. People are looking back on the Bush administration like, man, that sure was a great time. And I'm like, are you fucking crazy? That was the worst. Are you kidding me? It was terrible. What are you talking about? It was just a, you know, it was a different kind of terrible. It was yeah. like mainstream predictable terrible <laughs> that we have systems constructed to to deal with. The new kind of terrible nobody knows what to do with no. because it is no. because because it is it's it's a whole new thing. So like I um I I. Oh, I, I own my nostalgia. I love it. Um, you mentioned Reddit. There's a nostalgia subreddit that I love. It is a, it's a, it's a 
it's it's a fake internet point gold mine because it's really easy <laughs> to put up a picture of some toy that you had and everyone mm-hmm. that sees it goes yeah, yeah. approach you know because it makes because it makes them feel good yeah and there, there's nothing wrong with that like that's totally fine yeah. um, let's just be honest uh, about what it means and why and 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 uh, you know and let's let's keep let's keep on doing it yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the 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 danger is when it starts creeping into like overvaluing things <laughs> too, where you're like, oh yeah, no, this is great for, and then you fill in these arbitrary reasons when it really just boils down to it, yeah, it tags to a memory that I had that it was actually a good day at that point, and it there really yeah. is no um, there is no actual societal value to this <laughs> whatsoever, right? Um, which happens all the time. I mean, that's it seems like the I mean the internet is such a hive of like hyperbole at this point that it's just gotten to the point where everything is great, and when really you got to sit down with some things and just wrestle with it and go, well, actually, no, this is, this is, this is just what it is. It's just, you know, and I, I guess that's my biggest fear is that at some point we're just all gonna, it just becomes a, a bunch of remember wins and, and, and a bunch of exultations of people going nuts about something for two minutes and then they move on to the next thing. And I, I don't know if that changes. Right. I, I, that's, it's weird because it's like, I, you know, we, you, the, the whatever happened to thing, I guess the thing with me is uh, right now is like whatever happened to nuance is is my biggest thing. It's not really so much of a yeah. of a technological shift. It's it's whatever happened to like being able to have dialogue and and, and, and nuance and, and and not being so black and white. Like because I think that's my biggest fear right now is with the internet is that it is very black and white. It's like it's it's even down to like criticism, like how things boil down to you know not to Brent mention the Star Wars thing again, but like today it's like. I've, I've went through like all the, t- the reviews on like for last Jedi and it's like, you know, there's some of them that are really good, but then there's some of them that are like, ah, eh, you know, it's pretty, it's all right, but it's still the same rating as the one that's like really good. So it just boils down to this, like, this is bad or good. And like, I, I and I feel like that's almost like how commentary and criticism and, and dialogue on the internet sometimes gets down to, especially with the way things are kind of formulated. But, um, and I, and that's my biggest fear is like, that's a dangerous thing because then there's no room for actual discussion anymore. And it's just right or wrong. Yes or no. And it's just like, I I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't know how you break out of that either. Um, well, you know, there is, um, I think a, a, maybe a, a symptom of that or sort of related to that um, is, is like, you know, if you want to look back at, at stand by me, mm-hmm. um, we had, we had a short, we had a slow limited release. We started out in a, in a limited number of theaters in, in a couple of big markets and we were well reviewed and that gave us the opportunity to slowly grow and, and find our, and find our way um, to a, a larger audience and then eventually to becoming uh, a, a critical and, and a critical popular and financial success. I don't know if we would be able to do that today. Yeah. Um, you know, like if, like that, we, if, if we made that today, um, maybe, maybe we would have a theatrical release. I think it's more likely we would have uh, and, an online release, which isn't, which isn't bad, right? It puts us in front of more potential viewers, yeah. but those potential viewers have so much to choose from exactly. that. Yeah. Who knows if they would ever make the F, you know, who knows if anyone would ever choose to, to like, to actually look at us. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, my friends, uh, Emily and Camille did their movie, the big sick Love it, and, yeah. 
and and it's one of the one of the most delightful, wonderful movies I've seen in years. And the you know they never expected that it would get a wide release. And, and, you know, I remember talking to Emily, like right after I saw it and she said, uh, said something about how they had, you know, they thought, well, you know, maybe we'll get lucky and like Amazon will pick us up or who will pick us up. And, you know, maybe a few thousand people will see us. And then, you know, they went on to be, uh, a, a, a successful movie, which they absolutely deserve. But Kumail knew that every, from like the moment that movie went into a theater, every weekend that it did not do better than it did the weekend before it, it, it was, you know, it ran the risk of being pulled from theaters and, and, and that's, that is, that's tough, right? Like just that's, that, that, that's the reality. So I think that one of the reasons you see, you see these, these, um, you know, like incredibly hyperbolic, uh, uh, choices in things like reviews and all that is, um, whether someone agrees with you or disagrees with you, if you can be the one that rises to the top of the 24 hour Google news front page news cycle, then, then that means more advertising. That means more money. That means more opportunity. And, and, and here we are now in a feedback loop that rewards extremism because that's what gets attention. And, um, you know, that hopefully we will eventually correct for that. Yeah. Um, but, but at the, you know, at the moment, um, that's not super awesome. No, right. It's, 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 <laughs> and, it's and, um, and, and it's, you know, I think that, that over, over the long view, I think that it probably has, that probably has a, 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 a negative overall effect, mm-hmm. but I also I presume that if I were to go do some work and do some research, I would be able to find people having this exact same conversation 20 years ago and yeah. 30 years ago and 40 years ago, um, because we're just talking about things changing, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just cycles. Everything's in cycles, I believe. Like, I, I just, I, I do think like it's just different, different ways, different mediums, but the same sort of discussion. Um, yeah. Cause like, it's, it's interesting. Cause like right now, like we mentioned like the smaller movies making it only into the, the you know online platforms and how you have a lot of the bigger blockbusters that are taking over and y- again you like look back at old reviews and like Pauline Kale was saying the same type of thing like back in the late seventies and the early eighties and um, and I'm sure there is some fear about how art was changing back in the thirties and forties and and from before that and so yeah I mean it everything shifts everything I, I'm just hoping that things come back around in, in a certain way and people kind of just get tired of um, that people are looking a little bit more for truth. I think, I, I think that's maybe kind of what it all boils down to for me. I, I think is that like, I, I just don't know that there's a lot of truth that goes around w- with it. Cause a lot of people just run with things without thinking about it. I mean, we, what's, what's really weird is that we um, like for, and the, sorry, this is getting way too technical, but <laughs> we have this, we have this new software that's for our site that's called Chartbeat. And we were able to kind of actually quantify like how many times people are like leaving and scrolling down and, and moving. And like what we were actually kind of f- figuring out is that like most people just really read headlines and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Like that's so scary. And like, yeah. and I don't know how you change, I don't know how that changes um, and maybe there's just another way of different writing and if, if, if it shifts to audio or video, but, um, 
you know, you think back and like, oh God, how did this, how did this, how did we get here in, in this, in, in the political atmosphere that we're in right now? And, and you think about how easy it is for people to be swayed and how truth just hides away. And it's like, well, okay, well there's, that has to be part of it. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, that's, that's gotta be a, a, a bit of it, but I, I don't know. It's, 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 that's the stuff that keeps me up at night, I guess. Um, yeah, it is. Um, it, it is disconcerting and unsettling when you can read a headline that is contradicted by the second paragraph of the story. Yeah. Um, and 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 know that most people only read the headlines and then formulate their opinions based on the headlines. That's deeply concerning. Um, and hopefully, we'll find a way to to correct for that and you know and and adjust for it. Yeah. For uh, in terms of fears, I, one of the things we always ask our guests is, uh, and since we're kind of on the topic of it, uh, what, what actually traditionally scares you, though, and is, maybe it's something that you've had since you're little, or um, just now. Like, if there, you know, what is a scare for you? Um, you know, a lot of my fears are like existential. Yeah, of like course, yeah. I don't, I don't, I, I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in monsters under the bed. I, you know, yeah. nothing, nothing like that. I wish it was that simple. <laughs> um, I worry about things like the collapse of society, mm-hmm. the collapse of the social contract, um, the uh, uh, like the, the indifference to suffering really scares me um, because I see that uh, if you look into history, that those are the things that precede like terrible upheaval. And the, the, the time periods that come out of that upheaval tend to be pretty good, you know, in terms of like um, uh, things being changed and things being distributed more equally and things like that. But mm-hmm. the process of getting there is is really messy and violent and and uh, and dangerous. And I feel like we are kind of leaning into that right now. Yeah. And. Uh, and that, that really, that really, really scares me. That keeps me up at night. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, when I was a little kid, um, I was, I was, I was terrified that like, you know, a, a nuclear bomb was going to land on us. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that was the world that I grew up in. Yeah. No, um, but, but the, but these days it's like, um, it's the, the slow, slow creeping authoritarianism, uh, autocracy and fascism that seems to be rising all over the world. Um, and the, uh, and the oligarchs who are profiting from it, who have no incentive to facilitate any kind of change and every incentive in the world, uh, to, you know, to prevent it from happening. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, I think we have a lot in common then <laughs> in that respect. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned the nuclear bomb as a kid growing up because when we talked to Jerry O'Connell last week and I asked him that, he, uh, he mentioned the same thing. He's like, well, growing up, I was scared of nuclear bombs. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, and then he's like, well, I don't think we're actually that far away from that fear anymore. Um, I don't think yeah, I know. it's kind of <laughs> like uh, tragically uh, comic, I guess, in a way. But okay, um I got one last question, and I just um, you know, what are you working on right now? <laughs> it's as simple as that, I guess. But you know. um, I'm doing. Uh, I have been doing a, a tremendous amount of uh, of work as a voice actor mm-hmm. um, and narrator. I've been. I've I've worked on a, a lot of audiobooks this year. I've done a lot of voices for shows. Where I'm in the new. Uh, I'm a character in a, a new Netflix series called Stretch Armstrong and the Flex Fighters. Oh, nice! Um, uh, that I'm so proud of. That I that I just love. That I just think is great. 
Um, I'm a, a reoccurring character on on a, on a lovely children's show on the Disney Channel uh, called Miles from Tomorrowland. Oh, cool. uh, I play kind of a buffoonish villain in that. It's really great. Um, uh, I continue to work on the Big Bang Theory several times a year. Um, uh, this year for me in my own personal creativity in terms of writing and producing and making my own work, it's been a real struggle and I haven't gotten any of the things done that I want to get done. Um, it is, it's been, uh, uh, like it's kind of reassuring talking to other creative people and artists who I, who I respect to know that it's been a real struggle for them too, because we feel like the world we love is being burned down around us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, you know, and that's, that's, it, it's difficult to create something and it's a challenge to feel like this is going to matter. Um, because it's just feels like so much things that we thought mattered don't. Yeah. Um, so I haven't, I haven't been as, uh, um, uh, individually, personally creative as I want to be. Um, but when I can find my way back to it, um, I'm about 90% uh, of the way through the first draft of a novel that I started last year. Um, oh, awesome. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a story about growing up in the 80s. It takes place in the summer of 1983. And it is, uh, it was actually, it started out as, uh, as just a, a very short blog entry about a thing that stranger things reminded me of. Mm-hmm. And then while I was remembering this one thing, I remembered another thing and another thing and another thing. And I realized that I probably had enough memories to put them together into a short story, into a short story narrative. And then I, and then I, I realized that, um, I had a lot more than that and it was going to be novel length. And then I needed to kind of do the work to put it into a proper novel structure. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I've been working on that and, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. We'll see if it all holds together. Um, it's, I, you know, I, I, there are pieces of it that I absolutely love and pieces of it that I know I'm going to have to rewrite, but like, um, Stranger Things and Stand By Me um, uh, are are like kind of not far from my mind when I'm writing these things because yeah. they were definitely influential um, on on the on the structure of the narrative and and also just in like you know giving me access to these particular memories. Well, I was so gonna... hopefully you know I'd hope I'd hope that that would be finished and 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 out by now. Yeah. Um, but like I said, this year has been just a, a, a shit show. So it's been, uh, it has not, I haven't been able to do it like I wanted to. So, well, you did publish, hopefully you, published, by summer. you published earlier this year though, right? And it was, um, uh, the, I did early. Trees. Yeah. Earlier this year, I published a short supernatural horror story called dead trees give no shelter. Um, that's about a guy who, uh, who, who out, returns back to his hometown, for the first time in, in a very, very long time to try and, uh, uh, confront some truths about his, uh, younger brother's murder, uh, when he was, uh, when he was a kid. And in that process, he discovers some uncomfortable truths about himself and some horrifying truths about the town. Oh man, that sounds awesome. <laughs> that sounds really good. Um, I'm definitely going to pick that up, uh, cause I am in a rare window right now where I don't have, uh, Anything to read uh, for? I don't have to read any King books right now, so this will be a nice, uh, <laughs> a nice escape for, for for me for sure. Oh, that's awesome! But no, that that that, that next oh, book you sounds know, really cool because we're we're talking because we're because we're talking about Steve, you know we're talking about Stephen King yeah. uh, things. I um 
I had the tremendous pleasure and the incredible privilege to to read a story for Joe Hill's new book, Strange Weather. Oh, awesome. Um, so I got to narrate one of the stories in, in that collection. Oh, very um, cool. And uh, yeah, and that's that is uh, you can get that from Audible. Yeah, I was actually going to ask um, if you were going to if if you had done any of the audiobooks for uh, King or had been asked about it because it, it seems like that would be such a, a win win. But yeah, I mean, we, we yeah, were just talking I, about I that never thing. have. Um, you know, I think it would be really cool and really fun if I got to do like a spe- like I would love to do a special edition of of the body. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I just I I just think it would be cool. Yeah. Um, it's a little meta but it would be satisfying for me. And I think there's a, there's a portion of the audience that I think would enjoy it. Oh, totally. Um, uh, but, um, you know, I mean, I'm, his narrators are fantastic and, and, uh, you know, and, and his stuff is so, is, is really great. Um, so that's one of those things where it would just be a, an incredible honor and privilege oh, it'd be um, awesome. to be, you know, to be given the opportunity to do something like that. It would be, I think it would be really cool if you had, if they did a different seasons with different, you know, four different narrators for the, the different stories. Um, you know, g- good luck in anyone that wants to do, uh, app pupil. But, um, I, I, right. I like, <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that one. Um, but the, uh, yeah. Oh my God. I think that would be such a smart idea. Um, I mean, especially if you're, I mean, if you've already liked with Joe Hill, you should just, uh, you know, float on the idea or, um, bring it to the Twitter and, and, and I'm sure people would go nuts about it. It's funny cause that's, <laughs> that sort of meta idea was something that, um, I guess somebody tweeted at Jerry O'Connell, uh, when it came out. And they're like, oh, well, you got to play um, the Ben Hanscom character in the second one because you were the heavy kid in, in Stand By Me. And when he told me that, I was like, yeah. oh, my God, I can't unsee that now. Like, I, that has to happen. Sure. And so in like the last episode, we were they like, say that about me, too, that <laughs> yeah. like that, you know, that that I, you know, that 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 I should be one of those things. And it's 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 really it's lovely. And it and it's and it is it's it's really it's really sweet. And it's and it's it just feels good to know that, that, you know, we're, we are part of, we're part of this thing and that people think about us and, uh, you know, that, that they feel like this would be a good thing. I love that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's unlikely that it'll ever happen. Um, but, uh, uh just cause of the realities of, of business. Um, but, uh, but it's lovely to know that people are thinking that. Yeah, I think it would be an amazing idea. I mean, going, having all the the former uh, kids from a lot of the King adaptations, like we were saying, like Drew Barrymore is Bev, and because she's around the same age yeah. now, and and, and then you yeah. would be Bill. It would just be, I, I think it would be the coolest thing ever. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we'll you know we'll see. I, I I guess sorry for keeping it on with this long, but uh, for the stra- for when you mentioned Stranger Things, I, I didn't even think about it, but like. I, Cause that kind of came out of left field last year. And I, I mean, for, I mean, yeah. I, I'm pretty in, in tune with a lot of stuff that's going on, but I just remember even just hearing about, Oh, Winona Ryder, that's going to be in a new show. How, what was your reaction when you just like stumbled upon that though? Or like had, had, did someone tell you about it previously? Like, um, yeah, it was. So, um, I was actually, I was working on the big bang theory and Johnny Galecki told me about it. Okay. We were talking, we were talking about something else and I don't remember what it was. And he said, there's this thing, there's this series, Stranger Things that just came out on Netflix. And, uh, and he said, I've, I've only watched a few episodes of it, but I think you will love it. And I was, I was, I was in love with that before the end of the first episode. Yeah. Um, and I, and I feel like, um, I, I feel like a lot of people kind of get hung up on 
the the nostalgia of Stranger Things and the the homage that the that the Duffer Brothers p- paid to a lot of of uh, films from the that were were done in the eighties. I love that. It's beautiful and mm-hmm. it's and it's fun and and it adds an, an element to it. But I think it's really important to remember that the reason we all loved that and and the reason that that it that it captured um, uh, our imagination so uh, profoundly was because of the character relationships. Mm-hmm. Because we could, re- you know, every one of us, whether we grew up in the eighties or not, there was a character in there who we could relate to. And, uh, uh, and that, that goes back to one of the reasons I think Stand By Me is so successful is that it has these, these characters and these experiences that everyone can relate to. And, um, I was profoundly disappointed with the second season of Stranger Things, um, uh, because I felt like it was entirely driven by plot and, and hardly paid any attention at all to the, the character relationships that I loved so much. And I was just... I was so sad because I wanted to know these kids more and I wanted to know their parents more. And I, I just, I wanted to have that same experience. And, and, and what I ended up with was an experience that I kind of could have gotten from network television. Yeah. Um, and, and it was, it was really, really disappointing to me. Um, so I, I, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like it's, it, it is at least for me as a writer and, and as a, you know, as a, as a creator, it's an important um, uh, reminder that the story is what we care about and the, you know, the, the, the characters and their relationships, that's what matters. That's what, that's what moves us and, and keeps bringing us back. And, uh, you know, like that we, we, we got to remember that, uh, that, you know, a lot of people will stop to like, look at something big and bright and shiny and, 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 and exciting, but they're not going to keep coming back to it yeah. because it's, you know, cause it doesn't, cause there's not a lot behind it. Well, it's only and, so, and, so long uh, it shine. <laughs> it only shines yeah, exactly. for so long, you know, you it's know. just like, oh, you <laughs> yeah. um, sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, it, what's interesting, like I, the only, th- the one thing I really latched onto at the second was just like the, the Steve arc, because it was the only one that really kind of seemed like he had actually a big arc there. <laughs> like he actually changed. Sure. Um, but I, I agree. I mean, my, my, when we were talking about, uh, gosh, what was it? It, I think, and people were like, well, it's not really scary. And I was like, well, I don't really, I'm not really that drawn to the story for the scares. It was the interpersonal relationships between the kids and like how they reacted and what, you know, what they did. And I, and I agree. I think that that's partly why I love King so much is because he's so good at, at building that arc with the characters and kind of, he's really good at the reunion. He's really good at making you yeah. feel so much that you need to be with these characters. And that, and I think that speaks to what you were saying before about how you absorb the books because you just don't want to be away from them. Like I, like for, I mean, speaking personally, like I, I hate when I'm away from the characters. Like when I, like I remember reading 11, 63 a few years ago and I, the fact that I wasn't with in that world and with the, the, that, that those characters and experiencing those things anymore, it was like, it really was just, it, it was, it made me distraught <laughs> in a weird way. Yeah, sure. You know? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's tough. I, I agree though. I think characters is, 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 is hands down the most important part for a story. Um, and without it, it's just, there's no soul, um, you know, and, and there's no reason to, to, to really care as much. Um, but um, but yeah, no, but, uh, but well, I, I want to say thank you so much. This, this is, this has been 
honestly one of my favorite conversations I've ever actually had with anyone. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad that we were able to work it out and uh, and make the uh, make the time work. Yeah, no, seriously. Um, and uh, you know, good luck with everything. I'm really looking forward to this next story. I'm like, I, I'm, that, that sounds actually oh, really cool. And um, thank I'm, you very much. I'm absolutely going uh, to pick up Dead Trees, Give No Shelter, and uh, we will. Oh, cool! We'll absolutely push that for our listeners because we are always they're always looking yeah, for you new can, stories. You can let your listeners know that that you, it's in the Kindle store. Um, they can also get it uh, at my website at willwheaton.net. Um, and then I, I, I produced and, and, uh, and, and there, I narrated and produced and, and, and did, a, an audio version of, uh, of Dead Trees Give No Shelter that is available at, uh, willwheaton.bandcamp.com. Sweet. If you want to hear me tell you the story. That's, I might actually get, uh, the, I might download this, the, uh, the audio book and read it at the same time. Cause I love doing that sometimes. So it's, uh, just, awesome. it's very cool. Um, well, uh, happy holidays coming up. Thanks. Thank uh, you. You know, have a good one and let's hope that, uh, 2018 is much better than 2017. Yeah, uh, for real. You know, but anyway, thank you so much and I uh, hope you keep in touch for sure. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Have All a right. Good one. Yeah. Bye. Bye. As time went on, we saw less and less of Teddy and Vern, until eventually they became just two more faces in the halls. It happens sometimes. Friends come in and out of your life like busboys in a restaurant. You've made it to the end of another bloody, disgusting podcast. Congratulations. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. <laughs>